Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Um, I have been looking forward to preaching this next series for a long time. And uh, around November of every year... The Lord would have me to go with the pulpit ministry here. And I like to plan them out because I, I don't like, you know, to, to um, kind of guess where, I, where I'm going or whatever. I, I like to be able to see a, a track record of, of what I'm covering and, and making sure that uh, as best as possible that uh, uh, we're, we're getting good content from the, from the Word of God and uh, through the preaching ministry here. And uh, it has been on my mind for some time about a series or, or, or something to address our spiritual growth. And uh, I, I just didn't know, I did not know how to really go about it. And I'm, I'm driving down the road, um, <clears throat> you know, many, many months ago, and, and, and I, I, I saw a yield sign. And uh, I knew immediately when I saw that sign, I knew that in, I had to do something relative to that. And um, I saw another sign called stop and I knew that I had to stop. And I saw go, you know, green light and, and I saw a merge sign and uh, traffic ahead type thing. And I got to think, you know what, each one of those directional signs, I started thinking about, they correlate to something that the word of God teaches us about how to grow. For, for instance, when you yield it means that, that I do not have the right-of-way. Another vehicle has a right-of-way. And if I'm going to follow Jesus effectively, I have to understand I don't have the right-of-way. The Holy Spirit's going to have right-of-way. I must yield to Him. And, 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 and when I'm trying to live and, and follow the Lord, I may have some junk in my life that ought not to be there, some stuff I just need to stop. Sometimes I'm, I'm following Jesus and the more that I'm learning and the more that I love him and the more that the gospel is changing my life, he has compelled me that I need to go. You see where I'm going with this? All these signs just started popping up and I'm like, dude, this, Lord, you're telling me something here. And so I've began, I'm beginning this morning a series called Signs of a Disciple. But I want to kind of, before I get into the first sign, which next Sunday uh, will be the word yield, we're going to talk about yielding to the Holy Spirit. I think that's going to be one of the most uh, critical uh, elements of following the Lord on a faithful basis and making sure that we are in line with, with Him. And, but, but this morning, we're going we're gonna to stop for a minute and just kind of take an evaluation of our lives. And this morning, I, I want us to start at a crossroads. I want us to start at a crossroads. And, and the crossroads will be this. There, there's one road of brokenness and another road of holiness. And they do intersect. As a matter of fact, if you're here this morning and if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been at that intersection before. You have met God's holiness with all of your brokenness. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are always going to be on a path of brokenness until God radically changes your life with his holiness. But we all need to start right here. You remember Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? She saw the yellow brick road and she asked, well, where do I start? One of the munchkins said, it's easy. You just start at the beginning. That's what we're going to do together. We're going to start at the beginning. 
all of us together. For some of you, you're going to be taken back to the moment where God radically changed your life. You're going to be taken back to that, to that transformational time, that intersection where God's holiness met with your brokenness. For others, you're going to be, you're going to be looking ahead to when that time needs to occur. And we're going to examine a time when God radically changed the life of one individual and set him so on fire that he literally has changed the world as a result of his ministry. His name was Isaiah. He was a prophet of God. What was interesting about Isaiah is that he began writing his book before he was even a Christian. Before he was, well, we say the word Christian, before even God met him and designated him, atoned for his sins and set him apart as the work of a prophet. He began writing things that he was just seeing. And I believe Isaiah is a really good example of where we all are or have been or going to be this crossroads of brokenness and God's holiness. You know, there's an old song. I don't know if you sang it as a child. I know I did. Remember the, any of you ever part of the group called the pastor's pals? I grew up in a church where all the kids would get up on a Sunday night and they'd sing kind of like what our children's choir did a Sunday. And I was taught a song called he's still working on me. Anybody know that song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. But how loving and patient he must be for me, right? He's still working on me. He's still working on all of us. That's why a, that's why a, a series like this is going to be so important. Please do me a favor. Don't go on vacation. Don't get sick. Don't die on me. Don't do anything where you will miss the next eight or so Sundays because you do not want to miss any of this, uh, any of these sermons here. Okay. So are we all in Isaiah chapter six? Amen. Let's stand up together. Let's read God's word and honor God's word by standing. Just follow along with me. I'm going to begin in uh, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook. At the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Father, uh, we're going to spend the next uh, 20, 30 minutes or so. We're just going to take your word for what it is. And I'm only going to add a little bit of my commentary. That's all that I can do. Father, I got to realize I'm not in the business of transforming hearts and lives. I don't have that power or ability, but you do. But God, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking of those who need to meet at that intersection this morning. Their lives are broken and torn apart, but they don't even know it yet. God, I pray that this morning someone would realize they're broken, they're falling apart, they are lost without you, and may today be their day of salvation. Father, may there be one here who 
they need to revisit this intersection and, and see that they need to have the assurance to know that you're still working on them. They may have thought you've given up on them, but you've not. You still believe in us. I truly believe that, Lord. You believe in us. And you're at work. Father, I, I'm just going to submit this message and the reading of the word. God, may you honor it and bless it to all those who've heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, <clears throat> let me give you uh, just just the outline here. And, and I'm going to kind of diagnose the content here. Because the reason why this, this passage here is very, very important to help us understand this intersection really, really well. This intersection of our brokenness and the intersection of God's holiness. Isaiah was a prophet who I believe exemplified what that intersection really needs to look at. And I'm going to give you some statements, and, and I, I believe there's like a, several statements and a question here. Uh, uh, the first one's just going to be a statement about how do, we, how do we respond to this crossroads of broken and holiness? In other words, how do I know that I'm starting off right? How do I know that I'm following the Lord in a manner that I know that I can yield, I can go, I can stop, I can, you know, that merge sign. I'm going to merge and, and be able to worship with other believers. How am I going to be able to do all that effectively? But well, the first thing we need to understand, and I believe all of us need to be reminded, number one is this, look in your notes, moral competence is not ever enough. I don't care how much right or wrong you know, and God doesn't care how much right or wrong you know, it is still not enough. And let me tell you why. Isaiah's calling came in chapter six of his prophecy. That means in the first five chapters, and if you look there with me, I want you to t- take your Bibles and um, uh, look, at, look at chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1. I'm, I'm just going to read a, a few verses here, and I'm going to describe for you how he had moral competence, but he had not met with the Lord yet. Look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 1. He, he's talking about Judah, and he could see that they're doing wrong. You know, good people, even without Jesus, if we could call them good, they can see right from wrong. They can see the sins of others. We can see when bad things are happening in this world. Isaiah was no different. Look at verse 2. The ox knows his man. Master, the donkey knows its crib, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Verse, verse uh, four, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, chil- children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Go to ch- uh, ch- chapter two. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah could see the problem, but he also knew there was a solution to this stuff. And whatever Israel and Judah was trying, it wasn't working. And I'm telling you, you could try everything under the sun, but if it does not include Jesus, it will not be enough. It's not enough to say, oh, I know somebody's doing X, Y, Z and it's wrong. Or I know that I'm doing this and it's wrong. Just knowing isn't enough. But look at what Isaiah squeezes in. This is coming from, listen, this is chapter one. He's lost right now. Look at verse 18. Come now. In chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. 
Guys, I, I, I don't know what you make of Jesus and God in your life, but let me tell you something. Paul was on to it when he told us that in our sin, we no one seeks after God. But even this lost Isaiah knows that there's a God who's going to meet us. He's going to meet us. And even right here in, in chapter 18, verse 1, he knows it. He knows it. Now, how do we know that just knowing isn't enough? Well, in James chapter 2, verse 19, James is talking about uh, uh, believing in Jesus, believing in God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know you would if I were to ask you the question, raise your hand if you believe in God. Of course, raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Raise your hand if you believe that Jesus died for, died for sins. Oh, we'd raise our hands. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, even the demons believe all that. It's not just believing. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24 is a very similar verse. You might want to uh, scribble down uh, in verse 24. For false Christs, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if, if possible, even God's elect. So even this day, listen, it's not so much about knowing that we are secure in Jesus. For those of you that are, we have to worry for all the knuckleheads are going to come and try to mislead people. I mean, it's not just, that's what I'm saying. It's not just about believing in a set of facts. And I'm afraid that people today believe in a set of facts about Jesus, but they've never trusted in his atoning work. Why? Because we're not seeing the signs that normally accompany, that biblically accompany salvation. That's why this series is going to be important. So number one, we know that moral competence is not enough. Number two, have I ever had a radical encounter with God? That's going to be your question. Have I ever had a radical encounter with God? Notice the circumstances of Isaiah's encounter. The first line, Isaiah chapter six, verse one, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Why does that make a difference? Why does a certain king, well, why, why does that make a difference in Isaiah's prophecy? Well, you have to know a little bit about the history of the kings of Israel and Judah. This same guy, Uzziah, was also known as a king by the name of Azariah. And you can read about him in 2 Kings 15. Write that down. 2 Kings 15 tells a story of a king by the name of Azariah. Here's the deal with Azariah. Azariah, the Bible says, who was also known as Uzziah, was a pretty good king. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So good so far, right? Except for one thing. The very next verse where it talks about this, it says that, but even still, he did not cut down the high places. What does that mean? Well, they were Asherah poles in the Old Testament, and they were basically representative of God. You've ever seen a totem pole, right? And, 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 right? Okay, it was kind of the same thing, but it represented gods with a little G. And Israel and Judah would get caught up in these things, and they would try to worship them. You see, you can do good stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about the God that you're worshiping. He didn't cut down those poles. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Bible says that because of this, he was afflicted with leprosy and was confined to his house as a king. And this is in the mind of Isaiah. He says, you know what? It's not about all the moral stuff that I may know about. 
And it's not about how good I can act and pose in front of others. It's not about all that. It is about a time when I'm going to see and face to face have a direct encounter with a holy God. And that's what it's going to take for you in your brokenness, in this intersection of your brokenness and God's holiness. You're going to have to see God for who he is. Look at the next lines in this text in Isaiah chapter six. Listen, he saw the king, uh, the Lord uh, in the year that King Uzziah died. What was it? Uh, Uzziah died. What was the next thing that he saw? The Lord, the Lord, where in a song? No. At church? No. In a hymn book? No. In a, in a, in a, uh, Sunday school quarterly? No. Where did he see him? He saw the king high and lifted up. He saw God where God is supposed to be in your life. It was not a high place, an Asherah pole. It was nothing. It was not a little idol for him to worship. No, he saw the Lord in his temple. Look at the text. High, lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, these angelic beings that were buzzing all about. Can you imagine this this place being a throne room? Could you imagine a, a ruler being so powerful that a concept of glory would fill the place? I don't know about you, but in the times of the great awakening spiritually, the first great awakening in in Europe and then the second great awakening in the United States, there were churches all over the land who experienced the filling of their places with God's glory. And I long for those times once again. I I long for those times when, when, when you and I realize that God has done what he needed to do for our sins and we are trusting in him, we're, we, we are walking with him and we're walking, listen, with one another. You know, we're good at shooting each other in the foot, aren't we? We're good, we're good at killing off our wounded. And listen, when a great awakening comes, When we see God's glory fill this place, not only are we seeing God for who he is, we're seeing each other for who we are too. That he's still working on all of us. Instead of shooting our wounded and and, and instead of just, you know, pushing them out to the side. Listen, that that is why the issue and the topic of discipleship is such an important factor in my leadership here. For far too long, we've only wanted to make Christians Listen, that term is only an adjective nowadays. Have you ever noticed that? You can listen to Christian music. You can, you can uh, go and buy a Christian book. You can have a Christian artwork on your wall. But make no mistake, there ain't but so many ways that you can define a disciple of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace and for his glory, that is what we want to strive. That's what we ought to strive to do. So have you had that radical encounter yet? 
What have been, what have been a marker, what has been a marker in your life that, that drives you and has driven you to that radical encounter? You can actually have more than one. Did you know that? I'm not talking about more than one opportunity of salvation, but I'm talking about radical moments with God. My first one came at the age of five when I radically realized I was lost and that apart from Jesus, I could not have eternal life or forgiveness of sins. And so in, in the living room of my home on an evening, my father knelt beside me and he led me to Jesus Christ. And, and, and I prayed and received him as my Lord and Savior. I understood that. And then in a, on a hot summer camp night, and I was 12 years old, Camp Dixie outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina. I knew that I wasn't growing with it. I, I knew that I knew that I was saved. I knew I'd been baptized. But have you ever had that moment in your life? You just felt it won't click in. You know, you knew you loved Jesus. Jesus loves you. You had that forgiveness, but it just wasn't. I don't know. That night came. That was a radical moment. And then in April, 21 years ago, 1994, isn't that 21 years ago? Yeah. In April, 1994, I had, I had, I think, probably my most uh, life-changing, I guess you could call it that, radical encounter on a fire ground at Johnson Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina. I'm, I get burned. 18% of my body on my left side, first, second degree burns in a firefighting incident. It took that for me to realize that I've been running from God. And that what I wanted with my life was not what God wanted for my life. And it led me to the ministry. That's where my call originated from. What about those radical moments in your life? What about those, those, those moments in your life where you can say, God met me here. He met me at a crossroads of my brokenness and his holiness. And it's changed me. The first intersection you're going to ever have to go through is the intersection of an atonement. We're going to get to that in just a second. I mean, talking about a time when God changed you and he forgave you. You accepted his forgiveness and free gift of eternal life. Some of you have accepted that. Some of you need to meet him at an intersection where, where you get on his agenda. You've been on your agenda, but, but that's, and it may, be a, it may be a morally good agenda, but it's still not God's. So what have you, uh, have you ever had that radical encounter? You see, Isaiah saw God through, the, through, through, through no other filter or lens other than God's own glory. And I hope that in your encounters with God, it has not been through some empty tradition. It has not been through something somebody else told you that may be wrong, biblically speaking. I hope it's not been your attempt to just rationalize sin and to compartmentalize something in your life and not let God in. I'm telling you, God won't have your life that way. A great book. I'm going to write this down. My Heart, Christ Home. A great book to read. In it, the author talks about that just our lives being this house and God letting him in through the front door. And you'll lead him through every part of that house and He's going to rearrange stuff the way that he wants it to look. Now, I know at my house that won't fly if I wanted to do that. I've tried to rearrange stuff in my house, guys. I'm telling you. It don't work if you're married. Okay? I have to have someone else to give me final approval. But God is, is moving through the heart of uh, your, your home. And yet there's this one little closet, this one little area. You say, Lord, you can have every bit of it, but not this place right here. Let me tell you, you get Jesus 100% or you don't get him at all. 
Okay? That's where, that's really where it starts. And, and I know, and I know that some of you may have been like me. I'm kind of afraid of that, aren't you? I'll be, I'll be the first to admit I've been afraid of that because God, I'm having fun. God, I'm in, I'm enjoying what I'm, I love being a firefighter. I love jumping on that back step and heading off somewhere and helping people. I love being in the back of that, am, of that ambulance, but it was not what God wanted for my life. And I, and I tried that over and over. Some of you may not even know this. I'm a halfway veteran. I'm I'm a patriot. I really am. I love this country. I'm telling you, I think God put us here and started this country. I think of nothing. Listen, for missions. We have had the greatest ability. No country has ever had more money and more resources, more ability to go out into this world and make an impact for the gospel. Listen, in 1990, uh, it was summer 1997. I was doing an internship. Uh, with a pastor, and he was a chaplain in the army, and we kept talking. I'm like, man, this sounds so cool. I would love to serve my country. I went, I went and enlisted. I, I had my papers and everything. I, I I took the oath, and I went through MEPS. I did all that stuff. I had a job assignment. I was going to go to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, but it was not God's plan for my life. He made it known to me. So I had to fill out more paperwork and kind of feel like you're broken apart at that time. And, you know, God, what is it? I'm trying. See, God has a plan for your life, church. I'm telling you, he's got a plan for each and every one of you. And the longer you're going to try to work it on your agenda, it's not going to turn out. Okay? You need that radical, that radical time where your brokenness intersects with God's holiness. And I promise you, you'll have nothing to fear. Throughout all the criticisms that ministry can, can do, throughout all the hours of study, throughout the late night hospital visits and the early morning hospital visits and the long days of, of meeting people with surgeries and, visit and all that stuff, just all the stuff that comes along with it, I have never, ever, ever, ever regretted giving all of my heart and life and soul to Jesus and saying, Lord, here am I. You take me and use you as you will. I've never regretted that decision. I've had more freedom since then. I love it. Why? Because I decided to meet God where he was holy and I was broken. And right at that intersection, I decided to let him take charge and have control. Number, number three, a radical encounter will transform me first. Um, let's go down to verse four and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and look at verse five. And he said, this was Isaiah. He says, woe is me. He didn't say, woe is you. He didn't say, woe is Israel. Although he'd been talking about it chapters earlier. He didn't say, woe is Judah. He'd been talking about that. He said, no, woe is me. Your radical encounter with God changes you first. And I know how, how we can be sometimes. We can see everybody's sin much easier than our own. Amen? Say amen. Yes, you can. Come on now. Let's not lie in the house of God. Yes, of course we can. But Isaiah says, no, sir. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am the one who's the sinner. Listen to what Paul said. He says, I am the chiefest of sinners. 
But notice what next Isaiah says. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And what is the next thing that he says? I dwell among men of unclean lips. While it did transform him first, here's a truth about the gospel. If it radically transforms your life, it will transform the way that you see about other people. God, help us that we don't see people for lostness and foundness first. Then their socioeconomic class and where they went to high school, where they live, what they wear, what they do, who they hang out with. We need to listen. Listen, we got to see people for the way that Isaiah saw himself. And then he saw other people. Because listen, you're not going to see the world as lost or found until you have first seen yourself as lost or found. And it changed his whole concept, because all of his writing after chapter six changes rather than just stating a problem in the first five chapters. Now, the rest of it, he's going to give a solution in the rest of his prophecy. Before he didn't have a solution. All he could do is complain. Don't you hate complainers? Man, I tell you, what, I, I have known some folks in my lifetime. I think that's the only thing they know how to do. They can't complain. I, yeah. Well, I don't want to chase that one. I, I, I would start naming names if I kept on. I don't want to do that. Lord have mercy. Whew. I don't know how it's transformed you, though, this morning. But, but I think if we understand that Isaiah is no different than us, I think we can understand that some of the principles here need, can be cross-applied. And, and, and we may not be prophets to Israel or Judah. But I think when we are transformed by the gospel, it changes the way that we see everybody else. I don't think that's, I think that's an across the board issue. And let me give you number, number four, point number four, my journey begins. Okay. Now this is where we're going to get in the car and we're going to get on the road. Right. And we're going to look at all these signs of a disciple. My journey begins when Jesus radically invades my brokenness. Let him radically invade your brokenness. Look at what happened to Isaiah. Listen, verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, Send me. Let me tell you something about this, this, this invasion of your brokenness. First of all, the seraphim took something that Isaiah did not possess nor could produce. Okay? Because it came from an altar that was not his. This was not Isaiah's altar. This was God's altar. And this seraphim took something from God's altar and touched Isaiah on the most important place that he would, that he would make a difference for the people of Judah, his lips. Why? Because he was a prophet. He was a spokesman for God in the same way. When Jesus radically invades your brokenness, he is coming from his altar of Jesus, a blood-stained cross, and he'll take what is his altar and apply it to your brokenness. That's what happens. And then the same challenge is given. All right. You have been changed. You are God's holy people. What are you going to do about it? Who's going to go? What do you mean go? I didn't think go was a part of it. Yes. Who's going to go? 
Isaiah was the first person transformed, even though he saw everybody else messed up. Uh, dude, I'll go. I, I'll volunteer for this one. See, I'm telling you, as much as you, it, it, it's just so there. When God transforms us, there is a natural part of his transformation of the atoning work of God that makes us his ambassadors. It makes us automatic missionaries. But your journey won't begin until he transforms you. Your journey will not begin until you've taken your brokenness and you keep driving down the road and then you stop at the intersection where you've just encountered God. No right turn, no left turn. You meet him at that intersection. You can't do anything else until you've, until you've done that first. You see, this intersection of brokenness and holiness assumes a required exchange. I've already talked about that. Your way versus his way. He, does not, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't mix a, a percentage of his with yours. You'll take all of his or nothing else. Maybe you're here this morning and, and that's, that's been your hang up. Kids, students, excuse me, you're not kids. Young men, young women. This is an important time in your life if you're in high school. Either you're getting ready to go in college or you're in college or you're thinking about college or whatever. Have you asked what God wants you to do? If you haven't, you've not asked the most important question yet. Because I can tell you it's not what mom and daddy want you to do. Can I, can I, can I just kind of share a little bit of my closet? If I did what mom and daddy wanted me to do, I wouldn't have been in ministry. I know you love your mom and dad, but they may not know God's way. And those of you who've grown up like me and you're still trying to figure some things out, same question applies. How much of your life is being done your way? Hmm? That's something you can put on an altar. Not your altar. You, you, you put it on God's altar and say, Lord, you take it. Um, also, this exchange puts us in strange territory, too, because the Bible says, uh, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter wrote in, in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, because of this, we're now strangers, we're aliens uh, some translations use the word sojourners. This is a foreign land. Uh, the, the, you know, we just, this world is not my home. Therefore, how can I be comfortable in it type thing? How comfortable are you this morning? How much of this world do you, listen, are you living in this world now as if it's going to be your eternity? Are, are, are you making decisions and are, are you waking up each day thinking about how you can expand your own kingdom right now? How do, you, how do you fix this? How, how can it be fixed? There's a solution that was given in, in Matthew chapter 7. And I think you're familiar enough with the text. I don't have to turn there and, and read it word for word. I think you know, you'll know the meaning. But there are these two gates, these two roads. 
One is narrow. One is broad. The, the, the one that is narrow, though, not many people find it. But it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. You could also say that a part of eternal life means you've got, you've got peace. That's the, that's the road that I would say, that's the road that you would be on after that intersection. And then there's another one. There's another one. It's a broad way. Broad path, broad gate. A lot of people find it, the Bible says. But it ends in destruction. This is the road that kept trucking through that intersection and you didn't stop, you didn't yield the right of way, you didn't, you didn't even think about stopping. But what bothers me about that text is that it says many will find it. The narrow one, few will find it. And I'm the last person on the face of this earth to ever want anybody to doubt their salvation. But my question is to, is to you, are you on the narrow or are you on a broad? I'm gonna add, I would rather you ask that question to the Lord and ask him for a response. And because, because you'll ask him for it, he'll lead you. And I think he'll tell you what intersection you need to meet at. Stop on the road that you're on. When you get to that road where you see me, you stop. When you're at that intersection of your brokenness and, and, and my holiness, you stop and you let me transform everything there is about you. It's kind of like the old car that needed one of everything. That's what Jesus said, dude, before you get on the road, you're going to need one of everything. You're going to have a brand new life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you did just this morning. It doesn't matter what thoughts you've got swirling around in your head right now. It doesn't matter who your mom and daddy was. It doesn't matter who your aunt and uncle was. It doesn't matter who your grandparents was. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter what kind of job you've got. It doesn't matter. God says, you meet me here with all of your brokenness, and I'll take everything off of you, and I will give you what I have to offer. Let us pray. Father, uh, Lord, I, I have no doubt that, that there are many who know about that intersection. They know what needs to be done. But whatever is hindering that decision, they're just... They just haven't done it. They hadn't pulled that trigger. They, they have not responded to you speaking and working in their life. God, I pray that today would be the day that something would change. God, I, I also pray for maybe several here who've, you know, we love you so much, Lord. We, we're, we're, really, we're, we're really trying so hard, but it's like, we just don't get it right all the time. And, and then we wonder if we're really saved. We wonder if you love us. We wonder all this stuff. But maybe we just need to meet you at that intersection one more time and, and just let you invade a place in our life that we have been neglecting for so long. And God, I pray that, that they would pray and, 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 Lord, you would reveal that place to them. Maybe they don't know where it's at. Father, more than anything, I just want us to end on a, with an opportunity for... Um, for us to respond 
to what we've read and heard from the Word of God this morning. And I don't know how that's going to look for everyone, Lord. I just pray that we all here would only respond in obedience. God, don't let them respond to me. I don't want people responding to to a person. I want them to respond to an almighty God. Father, I I pray, Lord, that that your will would be done. Father, as we sing, we're going to stand together and we're going to worship in music one last time and, and worship through a response. And may you find what is done here acceptable to you. In Jesus' name.